All right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right, let's bring it back together, and then you can remain standing. We are going to start right off the mix here with a reading of Scripture. Our passage this morning comes from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and verses 9 and 10, as well as Jeremiah 20, verses 7 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations." Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. Say all my close friends watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. And then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hello. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tyler and I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad you're with us this Sunday. It has been a full week um, around these parts. We've had a lot going on both in our space, uh, in the life of our church. I'm probably going to make an enemy here. He really loves me, but uh, one of our two artists, so we had First Friday again, right, this Friday, and uh, we were able to have for another extended week, bonus week, the work of Jesse Heiser and Rafael Morales Silva with us as folks came in and saw First Friday, and Jesse's here with us. And this, Jesse, I know you probably hate this, but I love you uh, and wanted you all to know who he is. So uh, Jesse's one of the brilliant artists here. He was with a, I'm going to tell all your stories, uh, had a professor here who did a critique this week, and the professor was blown away both by our space, but more so by Jesse's work. So it was really sweet uh, to share that moment with you this week. Again, all kinds of stuff this week. Halloween was this week, uh, which for just being a single person by yourself means I buy a lot of candy that I eat by myself alone. Uh, in the comfort of my own home, it's really not as bad as it sounds. Uh, so it has been an outstanding week, and we are so glad that you're here with us uh, this morning. Today, we are continuing our multi-week exploration of the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, it is an ancient text that follows the life of the prophet Jeremiah who lived about 2,600 years ago. And we learned uh, at the beginning of this series that Jeremiah was called to be a prophet by God. He was given this difficult task to accomplish. Jeremiah was called by God or commissioned or invited by God to deliver painful, difficult, and honest words to people who would certainly resist his message. 
And so for the past five weeks, we've watched Jeremiah take you know, maybe two steps forward and feel like he's pushed two steps back in that journey. Uh, we've seen him do what God asked him to do, even when things got tough. But this morning, we find Jeremiah frustrated and downtrodden. He is upset, uh, deeply disappointed. He feels like he's been duped. So I want to start our time this morning by asking, uh, have you ever been there? Amen. Have you ever looked at where you are and said, this isn't what I signed up for? Have you ever thought, if I knew this is what it would be like, I don't think I would have said yes? Have you ever been in that spot? Ever found yourself committed maybe to a certain job or a certain lease or a certain program or a certain relationship, and then suddenly some kind of difficulty surfaces and it calls everything into question? Have you, have you been there? And I know that I have. And I'll say this from experience, there's a certain kind of despair that sinks in when we start to believe we're not where we're supposed to be. There's a certain kind of sadness that can consume us when we feel like life has turned on us or that God has turned on us and has tricked us. And that's where we find Jeremiah this morning. Jeremiah is disappointed. He's let down. Things aren't working out the way that he thought that they would. And so Jeremiah cries out to the Lord. And this morning, we have the benefit of reading and reflecting on what Jeremiah wrote down when he looked back at this particular dark moment in his life years later. We have the benefit of seeing how Jeremiah processed his profound disappointment with God and with life when life let him down. And Jeremiah's reflections this morning, I think they communicate to us a vital truth. In the spirit of Jeremiah, it is an uncomfortable truth, but it is vital and it is true. And here's what it, what it is. I think this passage we're going to explore today tells us that you can do everything God asks and still find yourself profoundly disappointed and violently opposed. You can do everything that God asks. You can say, God, I'm in 100%. I'm going to take on the challenge. I'm going to commit to this person. I'm going to stay diligent in these circumstances. You can do everything that God asks and still find yourself profoundly disappointed and violently opposed. It can happen. It happened to Jeremiah. It can happen to you and to me. Because to be clear, Jeremiah was faithful in his calling. He did what God wanted him to do. He said what God asked him to say. He preached a difficult message even as others mocked him and opposed him and hoped for him to falter and fail. And Jeremiah's persistence, his faithfulness, his tenacity to keep going even when things got hard, it didn't earn him a special place of honor, and it didn't get him the applause of his community, and it didn't set him up for a cozy retirement, but rather it brought him public opposition and ridicule. You can do everything God asks and still find yourself profoundly disappointed and violently opposed. And so as we study Jeremiah's story together this morning, my prayer is that we'll be able to see how we might think more clearly about what to do and how to, how to respond when God lets us down or our work lets us down or life lets us down and things just don't turn out quite as we thought they would. 
when it feels like we've given God everything and everything is falling apart. That's where we're headed this morning. And so we've got a lot of ground to cover, and I'm ready to dive into Jeremiah's story now. So we're going to start uh, in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 1. Jeremiah 20, verse 1. It's on page 647 of our community Bibles, and the text says this. Jeremiah writes, Now Pasher, the priest, the son of Immer, who is chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. And then Pasher beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. So let me break this down again. Jeremiah, he is delivering the message that God has told them to deliver. He's saying the tough words that people need to hear. He's being faithful in his calling. God said, hey, you're going to be a prophet and tell people some hard stuff. And Jeremiah said, okay, sign me up. And he's doing it. And then this guy named Pasher overhears Jeremiah's preaching. And he sits down to listen a little bit, and he soaks in with what Jeremiah is saying. And he decides, you know what? This preaching has got to stop. This Jeremiah guy, he needs to shut up. And so Pasher has Jeremiah beaten and humiliated by placing him in the stocks. Now, you know what the stocks are, right? Not like, uh, I don't know, Facebook or Apple or Tesla, right? Not those kind of stocks, though many people have been humiliated in those kind of stocks. <laughs> Uh, but those aren't the kind of stocks that Jeremiah is speaking about. Uh, this is what Jeremiah is speaking about. The kind of stocks where like your head and your arms are placed in some kind of device to keep them uh, immobilized, right? Maybe you've seen this at a, an amusement park or something. This was designed to make you physically uncomfortable and then also to make you humiliated within the group, the larger group, right? This is what Jeremiah endured. So pastor, he hears Jeremiah preaching, right? He listens to the difficult message that Jeremiah is saying, and he says, no, 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 this has to stop. And so he has Jeremiah beaten and placed in the stocks for all to see, and he leaves Jeremiah there for 24 hours. 24 hours. Now, can you imagine kind of the, the pain, uh, the fatigue, uh, the cramping. I, I told them in second service, sometimes I get kind of pulled into our children's room, which I absolutely love, right? Children's librarian here. But gosh, if someone just like sits on your leg for more than five minutes, it starts to fall asleep, right? And this is 24 hours in the stocks. You know, I'm like, get off me, kid. Uh, and this is 24 <laughs> hours immobilized, publicly degraded. Can you imagine the pain? Right? Can you imagine the humiliation? Now, if that's as bad as it got, I mean, that would still be bad enough. If all that happened to Jeremiah was kind of this beating and this humiliation, that would, that would already be too much. But I actually think things get a little bit worse. And I, allow me to explain. I think that Pasher's treatment of Jeremiah, it is cruel and it is unacceptable to be sure. But to me, the biggest offense here isn't that Jeremiah is beaten and it's not that Jeremiah is publicly humiliated. Rather, what's worse that Jeremiah is placed in the stocks by someone who should have been his ally. To put it another way, Jeremiah is publicly humiliated by another priest. By another priest. And if you were with us when we launched this series, you might remember that Jeremiah himself was a priest. He, is, he was someone who from birth had been set aside to be a spiritual leader for God's people. He was from a particular tribe. He had been born to certain parents, and that meant that he was supposed to flourish as a spiritual leader, right? This kind of a family gig. Well, in the same way that Jeremiah was a priest, we see in Jeremiah 20 verse 1 that Pasher also was a priest, he too was a person who had been set apart from birth to serve as a spiritual leader for God's people, Israel. And I think why this gets me so much is that it seems at some level that one of like, 
God's leaders, one of the people that probably took the same priest classes that Jeremiah was in, someone else who was familiar with God's law and who had read the ancient scriptures. It seems like they wouldn't necessarily be the kind of person you would expect would give Jeremiah this kind of treatment. And Jeremiah knew from the outset of the calling that he was called to be a prophet to the nations. Do you remember this? It was uh, that he was given this task to speak God's word to people who didn't necessarily know the God of Israel or worship the God of Israel. I imagine that when Jeremiah imagined what would be difficult for him in filling out his calling, he expected great opposition to come from those people out there who didn't know God and didn't worship or honor God. But here he is being beaten and humiliated by a priest by someone with the same convictions, someone who had read the same scrolls. I mean, in my, my thinking, it almost feels like Pasher should have been one that when Jeremiah is preaching, when Jeremiah is communicating God's words to God's people, I mean, Pasher should be there saying amen, right? He should be convicted and recognizing that, oh gosh, Jeremiah is rightly interpreting God's word, but he's not. He's opposing Jeremiah. He's standing against him. Jeremiah is opposed by someone who should be his ally. And this devastates Jeremiah, and it devastates us when it comes our way, doesn't it? When that close friend, when that coworker, or that adult child, or that, that precious sibling, when they turn on us, when they start to oppose us, when they stand in the way of something we know that we need to do, that, that weight is heavy, isn't it? And Jeremiah is targeted and terrorized by someone who should have had his back, by someone who should have recognized the value and the difficulty of what it was that he was called to do and who should have supported him in that task. But that's not what he experiences. Instead, Jeremiah is opposed. He, he is beaten and humiliated. In the weight of that opposition, it's overwhelming, and Jeremiah's spirit breaks. And so in verses 3 to 6, he pronounces judgment against Pasher. He says, hey, Pasher, God has decreed that in a day not too far from now, uh, we're going to be taken over by Babylon. They're going to come into here. And when that happens, everything, the system that you're a part of, right, your deputy chief priest, you've got this high up thing, it's not going to matter. They're going to take you and your family away. There's some great destruction coming this way because you've been so cruel to me. So that's what's happening in verses 3 to 6. But then Jeremiah starts to pray. And he prays the kind of prayer that Gabe taught us about last week, if you were here for that sermon. He prays this kind of prayer where he just gets really real and real honest with God. He pours out his heart to God in a complaint. And he says this beginning in verse 7. He says, O Lord, you have deceived me and I was deceived. You are stronger than I and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. Jeremiah praised the Lord and he says, Lord, you have deceived me. You promised you'd be with me. You said that I would be a strong tower. You said that you were appointing me to be a prophet to the nations. You told me not to be afraid of anyone because you would be with me. You said that your words would be in my mouth and that you'd use me to destroy and demolish bad things and to build and plant good and renewed things. You said that I would have your power. You said that I would have your presence. So what gives? I mean, how did we get here? Where, where are you right now? It certainly doesn't feel like you're around. I've got to be honest, as I reflected on these words throughout this past week, I couldn't help but think of that particular scene in The Lion King. 
You know what I'm talking about when Simba's out underneath the stars? Think about Mufasa being gone from his life. This is like the gut-wrenching scene in the movie for me, right? Do you remember what, what Simba yells in this moment? He looks up at the stars and he says, you said you'd always be there for me, right? but you're not. That's right before Rafiki comes in and saves the day, right? You said you'd always be there for me, but you're not. In church, in the same way, I think here, Jeremiah feels abandoned. And Jeremiah feels deceived. You said you'd always be there, but you're not. He's coming to wonder if the promises of God were simply fairy tales that he foolishly believed. So then his prayer continues, and he says in verse 8, For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. The word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. Now here's what Jeremiah is doing here. He's saying, God, whenever I speak, whenever I open my mouth, I say what you want me to say. I tell the people that violence and destruction are coming. I mean, that's the tough word that Jeremiah has been called to give. He's been given the responsibility of letting folks know that, hey, if stuff doesn't change here, really bad things are coming. Right? That's always a difficult task. So he's like, Lord, I've been telling people violence and destruction, violence and destruction. I've been being faithful to what you asked me to do, but your word, being faithful to your word, sharing what you've told me to say, it brings nothing but reproach, right? nothing but ridicule. People mock me. I get nothing but pushback. And then Jeremiah gets to the big point. Then he articulates precisely what's frustrating him, and we see it here in verse 9. Jeremiah says, But if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And Jeremiah says, Lord, you deceived me. This is a whole lot harder than I thought. You said you'd always be there for me, but you're not, right? He said, you've deceived me. And then he says, and I've been faithful. I've been doing the difficult task, even when no one seems to be listening, even when I feel violently opposed. And then we get to verse 9, and Jeremiah says, so recognizing that reality, Lord, there's days when it makes most sense to me just to throw in the towel, There's days when it makes most sense to me just to give up. There's days when it's like, you know what? What if I just quit talking about God? What if I just uh, said, no, thank you. I resign from my post as a prophet, right? Jeremiah says there's days where that makes the most rational sense to me. And yet, when I try to do that, when I say that I'm not going to mention him or speak any more of his name, when I try to do that, there is, as it were, some fire in my bones, Right? There's something that builds up within me. My, my bones literally ache, and I know that I just, I can't leave. I can't quit. I can't stop. Church, I think this is the heart of Jeremiah's frustration with the Lord. This experience of on one hand knowing that, yes, it's so difficult, it makes rational sense to leave this calling behind. This is way too tough. People oppose me even as I'm being faithful, and yet there's something within me that tells me that's not an option, Jeremiah. There's something within me that says you've got to keep going, Jeremiah. There is, as it were, this fire in my bones that reminds me that I've got to stay the course. If I try to quit because I feel like I've been deceived, I can't. Because I know deep down that this is what I have to be doing. I I can't leave. I can't quit. I can't stop, even though it's difficult. Have you ever felt that way, church? And if you ever felt deep down in your heart like God has called you to some sort of task, 
or some sort of mission or some kind of work or some sort of relationship that you know it's vital for you to engage, that you know there's work there that you need to do, that you know you have something to offer and to bring, and yet you find yourself wanting to quit anyway. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, I can see that my life would be much easier if I just walk away from this person or this job or this role, but I know deep in my heart that I'm not supposed to. I know that God has put me here for a reason. Gosh, I know it deep in my bones. I I know that this is what I was made to do, and yet I'm discouraged, and I'm exhausted, and I'm tired of all the difficulty that it brings into my life. Have you ever felt that way? Or maybe you've been in a situation where, like Jeremiah, you know there's something that needs to be said. Maybe there's someone you need to apologize to or someone you need to confront or someone you've been meaning to encourage or someone you've been meaning to speak to about Jesus. Or maybe there's a part of yourself that you've kept hidden and you just know that, hey, it's time that I I share this with others. And, And you know that if you open your mouth, you're taking on a risk. You know that if you say something, it could go excellently or it could go terribly. And so you probably feel in your heart that, gosh, it would just be easier if this desire, if this drive to say something, if this passion, if this zeal would just dissolve, right? It feels like my life would be easier if what I know I should say, if that that urge to do it, if that would just go away, but it doesn't. And instead, it remains like a fire in your bones. You feel like you've got no choice but to speak up. Have you ever been there? And I think the lesson that Jeremiah is teaching us this morning is that when we're in those moments, it's okay to experience some frustration. Because Jeremiah is deeply frustrated. His frustration, it's directed outwards towards the people that oppose him. It's directed inward, right? I wish I could just stop. I know it makes rational sense, but I also cannot. And it's directed upward to the God who called him to this tough role, right? Jeremiah is heartbroken and overwhelmed. And yet, in the midst of his heartache, And in the midst of great opposition, in the midst of persecution and trouble, he decides to keep going. He decides he's not going to give up. He's going to stay the course. He's going to keep preaching, even though it's difficult and brings frustration. But why? I mean, why does he decide to keep going? And how? How does he find the strength to do it? Well, here's why. It's because Jeremiah knew what he was made to do. Jeremiah knew what he was made to do. We see it from the very beginning there in chapter 1 that we studied and heard read earlier. In chapter 1, verse 4, when God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. And again in verse 9, God's saying, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over kingdoms and nations to be a prophet. Jeremiah knew what he was made to do. He knew what God had put him on this earth to accomplish. God had placed a particular task in Jeremiah's heart. God had formed Jeremiah to be a kind of person who cares about truth, who cares about justice, who is dedicated to reform and wants to see it through in places where injustice reigns. God made Jeremiah with a purpose. He made Jeremiah with specific work in mind. And I would say this morning, church, that God has done the same for you and me. That just like Jeremiah, we've been made with a specific purpose in mind. And you hear us say this all the time at Christ Community. We talk about the fact that God has given us various vocations and callings. Have you heard that phrase before? It's such a tagline, various vocations and callings. That's our way of saying 
that we are confident and we believe that in this room there are so many different roles and responsibilities and giftings and skills and passions and resources that God has given to us. Everyone's looks different, but God has given us each various responsibilities, various vocations, various callings that he wants us to steward well for his glory and for the good of our neighbor. God has given us work to do, sometimes paid, sometimes unpaid, sometimes in an office, sometimes in the home, sometimes for a lifetime, sometimes for a season. But God has called us all to all kinds of work so that we might honor him and love our neighbor. This is something we believe deeply as a church. If you've been around here for a while, you've probably heard us say it before. We believe that God has given us all work to do and that by doing that work, by engaging the various roles and responsibilities and people that God has put into our life, when we do that work, we love others through the work that we do every day. We love those around us by providing quality products at fair prices. We love those around us by being faithful in friendship and offering a hand when things get tough. We love those around us by caring for our kids or caring for our parents or following through on commitments. We love those around us through the work we do every day, paid or unpaid, right? whether for a season or for a lifetime, whether it's in an office or in the home. We think that's the work that we've all been called to do, and it looks different for each person. But the reality is that loving your neighbor through your work is hard work. Loving your neighbor through the work that you do, it is hard work. I mean, the great filmmaker Woody Allen puts it this way. He says, to love is to suffer. So to avoid suffering, one just simply must not love, right? To love is to suffer. Jeremiah was called to love his neighbors. He was called to love the people of Israel, and he was called to love them by telling them difficult truths that they needed to hear. And like Jeremiah, you and I have been called to love those around us by engaging the work that's been given to us by engaging the people, by engaging the organizations, by engaging the opportunities that God has placed in our life. We've been called to love our world in that way. And Woody Allen's right, to love is to suffer, and to love greatly is to suffer greatly. The great, good, big, beautiful work that God has created for you to do in this world, the work that will bring peace and joy and flourishing to those around you, uh, it is costly work, and it will bring hardship. But if you're here, and if you follow Christ, I've got some weighty news to share with you. This work, this difficult kind of work, uh, it's not an option. It's a command. Uh, you could say that you are obligated towards this kind of work, obligated to share this kind of love. Now, why do I say that? Well, I think I, I see it so clearly in John 15, 12, as Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus says, what I want from my followers, from what I want from my church, what I want from people that say, hey, I'm on the Jesus team, is that they love other people in the same way that I have loved them. And when Jesus loved others, it cost him his life. And I would say similarly, we are made to love others in costly, bold, sacrificial ways. We have an obligation to those around us. We have been made with a purpose in mind. There, there's a mission that God has given us. And this obligation, it's not something that we can escape. We are obligated to those around us to do our work well for the glory of God and for their flourishing and well-being. I mean, Jeremiah, he was obligated to the people of Israel. He was given the task of loving them well by telling them difficult things that they needed to hear, whether they liked it or not. 
He didn't really have a choice. So I want to ask you this morning, uh, to whom are you obligated? Who has God placed you in this world to love? Who has God placed you in this world to love? Do you know the answer to that question? I mean, believe me when I say this, every single one of you, no matter who you are or where you've been or what influence you think you have or don't have, there are people in this world that God needs for you to love. There are people in this world that God has called you to love. There are people that God wants you to encourage and support. They, they need it. This is the work that you have to do. And it's costly work. It's not easy work because to love is to suffer. It's difficult to love people in the ways that they need it. Who are the people that God has placed you in this world to love? They're out there. Do you know who they are? Jeremiah's story shows us that when we engage this kind of work, when we do the work of loving others through the work we do every day, it is difficult and it is costly. Jeremiah, he wasn't the only prophet as he engaged this work to feel like he had been deceived and disappointed by God. In fact, it's a common refrain throughout the Old Testament. It is many faithful people tried to honor the Lord in this way. Again and again, you hear different kinds of refrains that says, you got me, Lord. This is harder than I thought it would be. This is more complex than I thought it would be. Jeremiah, uh, he gives his life to this difficult, demanding task, and it doesn't get much easier as life goes on. In fact, Jeremiah is known as, as the weeping prophet. He cried a whole lot, and this isn't like your friend that cries easily at movies, right? This is crying for like deep, substantive pain in his life. While he was alive, he never saw success. He didn't experience safety. There was uh, no magazine covers that he graced. No lifetime achievement awards came his way. Uh, Rather, he spent a lot of time alone, spent a lot of time feeling like no one was listening, and then he died. And I wonder if when he died, he felt like he was a failure. I mean, we know at the end of this morning's passage he does. If you read verses 14 through 18, he spends the whole time saying, gosh, I wish I were never born. Cursed is the day I was born. Cursed is the person who announced that I would be born. This passage this morning ends in a pretty dark spot, and I just wonder how Jeremiah's life ended. I wonder if he felt like he had been a success or if he felt like he had been a failure. I wonder how he felt when everything came to a close. We don't have the answer to that question. But I also wonder what Jeremiah Jeremiah might say if he walked into our space this morning. I wonder what Jeremiah would say if he showed up now, right, 2,600 years after he wrote this initially. I wonder what he'd show up if he had the ability to kind of reflect on everything that had happened since. If he showed up on this space, in our space, if he read these old words and we asked him to think back, gosh, Jeremiah, what do you think now as you read Jeremiah chapter 20? What comes to your mind? I wonder what he'd say. What do you think he'd say? Here's what I imagine. I imagine that Jeremiah would remember the difficulty that he experienced. I think he would remember the sting of betrayal. I think he would remember the despair of loneliness. He might even remember kind of the pain of pastures beating, right? Because those kinds of memories don't often go away. We carry difficult memories with us, don't we? But what else would he see? What else would he say? I imagine that after time, given some time to reflect, Jeremiah might have a small smile come to his face. And maybe, just maybe, he'd start to speak of God's faithfulness. 
Because in a very real sense, God's promises to Jeremiah have rung true. Jeremiah's words have shaped the trajectory of nations. God has preserved his teaching and allowed it to shape generations of Jesus' followers. I mean, come on, no one speaks about Pasher anymore, but people still name their kids Jeremiah. And all the nations and all the kings that conspired against Jeremiah, they've been forgotten. And those friends that were waiting for him to falter and fail, they, they remain nameless throughout history. But Jeremiah's words have been preserved. His book has been translated into hundreds of languages and read by millions of people. The, the laws and the rulers and all the, the different people in ancient civilizations that opposed him, they have been forgotten. But Jeremiah's poetic and prophetic teaching persists. I wonder what Jeremiah would say if he saw that. And what else do you think he would see as he looked back on history? Well, I think he'd also see that the greatest prophecy that he ever gave, a prophecy that we're going to explore here in a couple weeks, the prediction of a, a new covenant, a new promise between God and his people, a new way that God would relate to the humans that he made, I think Jeremiah would see that that new covenant did indeed come to pass. I think he would see that this new covenant, this relationship between God and his people had been enacted by another Jewish man, a man who, like Jeremiah, faced discomfort, faced mockery, faced rejection and pain, but chose to keep going anyway. I think you could say about this other man that there was, as it were, a fire in his bones. Even as he prayed, Lord, let this cup pass me by, but set his eyes and said, no, I'm going to do the task that I know I was made to do. Right? This was another man who knew that to love is to suffer, and he gave his life for those he loved. And indeed, is there any greater kind of love? This man, Jesus Christ, died a death for you and me, and three days later overcame death itself to redeem all things so that he might put this broken world back together. And Jeremiah predicted that it would come back when he was a prophet living 2,600 years ago when it felt like no one was listening and his words were useless. What would Jeremiah say if he could show up here this morning? What do you think his reflections would be? Here's what I imagine. I imagine that Jeremiah, after he reflected on the very real pain and after he saw all that God had done in the time since, all the ways that he had preserved his teaching and had indeed used Jeremiah's words to influence countless people, and as he indeed had fulfilled a prophecy that Jeremiah gave and used that to redeem the whole world, I think that Jeremiah would say, you know what? I wouldn't wish the kind of difficulty that I experienced on my worst enemy. And probably in the same way that many of us feel about high school, he said, I wouldn't go back and repeat it no matter how much money you gave me. But I also wouldn't take it back if I were given the chance. I wouldn't want to undo the good and the change and the beauty that's come out of the difficulty that I experienced in fulfilling my calling. I think Jeremiah could look back at history and say, you know what, I can see now that it was all part of a larger mission. I can see now that my words were being used for good that I could not imagine. I think he would say I could see now that they were seeds that God was planting and watering and that God knew one day would bloom when he saw fit. Poet Lucy Shaw says this, she says, planting seeds inevitably changes the way I feel about the rain. I think Jeremiah, looking at the broad breadth of history, could say, I didn't feel it then. 
I felt deceived in the moment. I was certain that God had betrayed me and that all his big promises about what I would accomplish were a lie. But now I see, now I see that he was planting seeds. And oh gosh, it changes the way that I feel about those difficult circumstances. And so church, in our final moments together this morning, hear this. Uh, you have not been deceived. God's promises are true. Whatever difficult thing that he's called you to in this life, if you're thinking of a certain relationship or a certain job or a certain task in our community, whatever it is that he's called you to, he is with you in that calling. He is loving the world through you. But to love is to suffer. And the difficulty that you experience, it's not accidental and it doesn't go unnoticed. But will you, in the midst of it, press on through the difficulty? Will you pay attention to that fire in your bones that tells you everything rationally says that I should say no and turn my back on this, but something deeper within me tells me that this is what I was made to do. Something deeper within me tells me this is what God has for me. This is how I'm going to contribute to his world and bring about redemption in my small little corner of the planet. Will you embrace your obligation to love the world? I can tell you this, it won't be easy, but it's what you were made to accomplish. Will you do it? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you've given us all tasks that feel too difficult and too weighty. And so often we can feel deceived. We can feel like you lied, like you let us into something that you actually set up as a trap. Lord, remind us this morning that you do care, that you do notice us, that we're not abandoned, that you're here in the midst of the difficulty, and that you have a larger plan at play, and that if you've promised us something, we can trust it. And if you've called us to some kind of difficult work, you will sustain us in it. Lord, send us your encouragement, send us your comfort, send us other people who will encourage us in the difficult work that we have to do, and help us. Help us as we try to engage the difficult work of loving others, which feels like suffering so often and comes with opposition. God, it's what you've made us to do. It's the work that we have here to carry out, and it's good work, and it's work that you use. So would you support us in that task? We're asking you now humbly in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.